Welcome to the election ride home for Thursday, March 12th, 2020. I'm your host, Jackson Bird, with a summary of election news. Today, does Bernie Sanders have a unity strategy? Joe Biden hires Beto O'Rourke's campaign manager and addresses the nation. Plus, who is Elizabeth Warren going to endorse and more ways the coronavirus is affecting the presidential race? Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. So yesterday, I told you about Senator Sanders' press conference in which he did not drop out of the race. And now that there's been some time for the not-quite-news-to-settle, folks have started weighing in on what they think Sanders might be considering for his future. Alexander Burns and Matt Flegenheimer, writing in the New York Times, went so far as to call this a concession speech, saying, quote, For in Burlington, Vermont, Mr. Sanders was more visibly humbled than at nearly any other point since he emerged as a national figure five years ago during his insurgent challenge to Hillary Clinton. There was no defiant battle cry on Wednesday, no vow to fight Mr. Biden all the way to the Milwaukee convention in July, no allegation of election rigging or insinuation of an establishment conspiracy like he memorably made in 2016. There was, instead, a matter-of-fact assessment of his own diminished position in the race, followed by an equally unsparing recitation of the policy changes Mr. Sanders intended to put to Mr. Biden in the coming days. Reaching for a kind of moral victory, Mr. Sanders insisted that his campaign had won the ideological debate, but allowed that he had not persuaded most voters that he was the likeliest candidate to defeat President Trump. Taken together, it was a stark moment of political de-escalation. Some Democratic officials interpreted it as a signal that Mr. Sanders may not be thirsting for a fight to the bitter end of the kind he waged against Mrs. Clinton in 2016. Even his criticism of Mr. Biden was largely implicit, framed in terms of questions about healthcare, climate change, immigration, and more that seemed intended to push Mr. Biden to address the concerns of Mr. Sanders' political base. End quote. Arnie Siepel, writing in NPR, said, quote, So why tip Biden off to how you're going to challenge him on Sunday? Maybe Bernie Sanders wants Joe Biden to succeed. Sanders continues to say that he likes Biden and that defeating Trump is the most important thing this year. Sanders has pledged unequivocally to support his opponent if he himself loses the nomination, something he has done more vigorously and more often than he did in 2016. Despite disparaging the party, and though some of his supporters often get into vitriolic arguments, particularly online, Sanders is clear that he does not want to hand the election to Republicans. End quote. Representative Peter Welch of Vermont told the New York Times, At some point, we're going to have to unify to achieve the overarching goal of defeating Donald Trump. Bernie, more than any other person in this country, can help Biden be the person who defeats Donald Trump. End quote. The New York Times notes that no matter who the nominee is, we'll need to see a move of unity in the Democratic Party. And based on their recent speeches, it does seem that Sanders and Biden are making an effort to keep things cordial. However, after a whole year of campaigning that often included taking digs at one another, would a simple endorsement be enough to convert those often polarized supporters? Quoting the New York Times, Some veterans of Mrs. Clinton's campaign would advise Mr. Biden not to expect much. Though Mr. Sanders officially endorsed Mrs. Clinton in 2016 and rallied for her, her aides generally viewed the endorsement as somewhere between dutiful and inadequate, 
especially when weighed against the months of negative attacks from Mr. Sanders and his supporters depicting her as a corporate tool well after she had appeared to have the nomination in hand. There's some reason to believe that this election might be different. Mr. Sanders appears to harbor much less visceral disdain for his opponent than he did in 2016, when he and his aides seethed constantly at the perceived coronation of Mrs. Clinton. Mr. Sanders has never attacked Mr. Biden's character or his personal ethics, even as a good number of his political allies have done so repeatedly. End quote. Though, as Brian Fallon, Hillary Clinton's former national press secretary, pointed out, quote, what the courting looks like, what will actually satisfy large chunks of his movement, is a mystery. So much of that movement could not even find Warren as an acceptable alternative. So what the heck can Joe Biden do? While surrogates and supporters of Senator Sanders may take a while to come around to him not being the nominee, it seems like his team is considering the possibility and seeing how they can leverage their influence to affect the policy and ideology that so many of Sanders' supporters and even people beyond his base care about. NPR said of his press conference, quote, Sanders seemed to indicate that as he sees the presidential nomination slipping away, he wants the party to thrive by addressing the issues he cares about the most. But, NPR continued, Sanders is not conceding. He'll be at the next debate and in the next contest, and his allies say a good debate and a Biden gaffe could turn the tide. And Biden doesn't yet have even half the delegates he needs to secure the Democratic nomination. End quote. That's a good reminder, for sure. It may feel like the campaign is winding down, but there are still plenty of states who haven't voted, another debate on Sunday, and the wild card of coronavirus affecting campaigning. So we'll just have to keep watching and see what happens. Two weeks after Mike Bloomberg's national address on coronavirus via a three-minute-long commercial, Joe Biden has now taken his turn to play act president by scheduling his own address to reassure and mobilize the public. Speaking earlier this afternoon from Wilmington, Delaware, Vice President Biden said, quote, Unfortunately, this virus laid bare the severe shortcomings of the current administration. Public fears are being compounded by pervasive lack of trust in this president, fueled by an adversarial relationship with the truth that he continues to have. We are not ready yet, and the clock is ticking. End quote. NBC News' Mike Mamoli pointed out on Twitter that Biden's address was planned before they knew President Trump was making his address last night, so it wasn't an intentional commentary, but ended up being a fitting contrast in Biden's favor. Quoting the New York Times, on Wednesday, Mr. Biden's campaign announced the formation of a public health advisory committee studded with prominent health leaders and alumni of President Barack Obama's administration, a rollout that seemed intended to conjure the actions a president might take. Mr. Biden has previously sketched out other steps he would take as president to fight the virus, noting his work as vice president in combating Ebola and describing Obama administration priorities like bolstering funding to fight that disease, Ron Klain, who was Mr. Obama's Ebola czar, is a top Biden advisor. End quote. In addition to the pressing matter of figuring out how to handle a presidential campaign at the same time as a pandemic, this afternoon's address came about thanks to Biden's newly appointed campaign manager, Jen O'Malley Dillon, the former presidential campaign manager for Beto O'Rourke. Quoting the Washington Post, the move is intended to quell concerns raised in recent weeks by senior Democratic strategists about the leadership structure of the Biden campaign, which has been beset by underwhelming fundraising, scant staffing resources, and organizational miscues during the early nominating contests. 
The campaign shuffle is an acknowledgement that while Biden has had a remarkable recent run of victories, at least 15 of the past 21 contests, his operation was not up to the challenge posed by President Trump if Biden wins the nomination, end quote. Well, I suppose it's nice for Joe Biden that the establishment is willing to throw all their money and resources at his previously kind of bootstrap campaign. I'm not sure he actually needs it. At this point, we've seen him win several states where he didn't campaign or in some cases even advertise. Max Boot, writing in an opinion piece for The Washington Post, said, quote, Joe Biden is old, inarticulate, uninspiring, and gaffe-prone. He doesn't have a radical agenda. He isn't a new face. He has been involved in national politics longer than the median American has been alive. He had little money or organization. Sanders raised nearly three times more money in January. He finished fourth in Iowa and fifth in New Hampshire. And since 1972, no candidate has won a major party's nomination without finishing at least second in one of those states. A year ago, Biden was expected to win. Two weeks ago, he was expected to lose. Now, he is all but certain to be the nominee after the most surprising turnaround in the history of primaries. Ultimately, I suspect, the outcome can be ascribed to the simple fact that most people like Uncle Joe. It's a little dispiriting to admit that presidential politics, like student council elections, are essentially a popularity contest, but it's true. The Barbara Lee Family Foundation found in a 2016 study that 84% of men and 90% of women say it is important that they like an office holder they support, end quote. After pointing out a number of presidential winners who were more likable than their opponents, Boot says, quote, In this Democratic race, the outcome was predicted by a CNN University of New Hampshire poll of likely New Hampshire voters all the way back in July 2019. It found that although Harris and Warren, then seen as frontrunners, had high favorability ratings, only 4% found Warren the most likable candidate, and only 5% said the same of Harris. The leaders in likability at 20% each were Biden and Sanders. It might be sexist and unfair, but it's no coincidence that Biden and Sanders are the top two finishers in the primaries. End quote. Boot concludes, there's a good reason Trump, whose own favorable-unfavorable rating is negative 11 in that CNN survey, would rather face Sanders. Biden is Trump's worst nightmare, a Democrat who's far more likable than he is. Based on that metric alone, Biden has a strong chance of prevailing in November. End quote. With that, as well as delegates, polling, and now a bunch more money and resources from the Democratic establishment and a shiny new campaign manager, it does seem like everything's looking up for Joe Biden. But will Bernie Sanders, as his team and supporters hope, turn things around at the debate on Sunday? I mean, I think it would have to be just short of a miracle, but hey, we have all been surprised by plenty of things in this election, so who knows? Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Ever since Senator Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the presidential race, everyone has been talking about who she'll endorse. With a lot of surrogates, public figures, and everyday supporters of the remaining two major candidates often putting pressure on her to back their candidates. Like Mayor Bill de Blasio, one of the rare former 2020 presidential candidates who has endorsed Sanders over Biden. He tweeted Tuesday, quote, I deeply respect Elizabeth Warren. Our nation and our party is better and more progressive because of her leadership. Now our progressive movement needs her more than ever. Senator, if the shoe were on the other foot, Bernie Sanders would have already endorsed you. Please join us. End quote. But several people close to Warren are saying that she's likely to withhold from endorsing either candidate until after the primary. Quoting the New York Times, Those close to Ms. Warren say her foremost reason for not endorsing Mr. Sanders is simple. Since her exit from the race, his path to victory has looked unlikely. They doubt that Ms. Warren, even as the most prominent former candidate to have not backed another primary contender so far, could reverse Mr. Sanders' fortunes at this point, and fear that she risks squandering valuable political capital if she tries to do so and fails. It was also not clear what difference Ms. Warren might have made in addressing Mr. Sanders' glaring vulnerability with black voters, with whom Ms. Warren has shown little sway herself. End quote. Others say that for all of their policy similarities, some of Warren and Sanders' differences in approach and ideology might be too big of divides. Quoting the New York Times again, Adam Gentleson, who was close to Miss Warren's team and served as a deputy chief of staff to Harry Reid, said Miss Warren and Mr. Sanders could be separated by one thing, their approach to the Democratic Party. Quoting Gentleson, Being president is about policy but it's also about leadership and your approach to people, and that's a big area in which they differ. She values the Democratic Party. She thinks it has flaws, but is overall a force for good. She doesn't want to be on board with efforts to villainize or alienate many people who are the lifeblood of the party. End quote. Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, who endorsed Senator Warren in a personal capacity, also suspects the campaign was a test of Warren and Sanders' personal relationship, and that the way Warren and her supporters have been treated by a subset of Sanders' supporters has made a lasting mark. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of Sanders' lead surrogates, said, quote, I always want to see us come together as a progressive wing. I think that's important and where we draw strength from. But at the same time, I come from the lens of an organizer, and if someone doesn't do what you want, you don't blame them, you ask why. And you don't demand that answer of that person, you reflect. And that reflection is where you can grow. End quote. It's likely Warren will repeat her actions from 2016 of staying neutral through the Democratic primary and then using her influence to push for more progressive policies from the nominee and the party. Also, she's already been hard at work back in the Senate pushing for all sorts of initiatives, especially related to the coronavirus crisis. So, like, let the woman breathe and do her job. I know I've mentioned it a couple of times already this episode, but now a check-in on how coronavirus is affecting the election. And I know, I know... 
Everyone is talking about coronavirus, and maybe you're listening to this podcast specifically to escape talking about it. And hey, we here at Ride Home have our own coronavirus podcast now, so why do I need to talk about it here too? Well, unfortunately, it is affecting every part of our nation and the world right now, including the presidential campaign. And it may be affecting the election in some pretty unprecedented ways. In fact, Lori Garrett, writing in Foreign Policy yesterday, suggested that we should cancel the whole campaign. Not the election, but campaigning. Garrett writes, quote, For the first time in the country's history, the United States must contemplate canceling the Democratic and Republican national conventions and campaign rallies and give serious consideration to arranging ways of organizing Election Day that don't require in-person voting. Consider the apparent fallout from Super Tuesday voting on March 3rd. Democrats voted in 14 states in their presidential primaries, with some states showing record turnouts and long voting lines. California voting turnout was especially robust. The following day, the state saw its first COVID-19 death, and Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency across California as evidence surfaced of community transmission in several counties. End quote. Garrett discusses how all of the handshaking, selfie-taking, and baby-kissing at campaign events, not to mention hundreds to thousands of people stuffed in one room together, is mostly what needs to be suspended. Which, to give the campaign's credit, they have been canceling more and more campaign events since this article was published yesterday afternoon. Biden's team has announced that his planned events in Chicago and Miami later this week will now be virtual events, and Sanders has no plans until the debate on Sunday— which it was just announced has been moved from Phoenix to Washington, D.C., presumably so less people involved have to travel. Also, Jorge Ramos will no longer be moderating, as he was recently in contact with someone who's tested positive for coronavirus. While he's asymptomatic so far, he will not be in attendance, and he will be replaced by Ilya Calderon. But thinking ahead past Sunday's debate, Lori Garrett wonders if we should cancel the conventions. Canceling the Republican National Convention, she says, wouldn't have huge effects on the race since it wouldn't change their selection of the incumbent president. The Democratic National Convention, however, she says, quote, Even if Biden or Sanders arrives in Milwaukee having won enough primaries to be the clear victor on the first delegate vote, Democrats need a love fest full of glad-handing, in-your-face negotiating, and baby-hugging to unify the party and rally its TV-watching troops. If the epidemic forces cancellation of the Milwaukee gathering, the party's candidate may be at a distinct disadvantage going into the general election against Trump and his base of loyal support. End quote. The DNC, for its part, as of recording, is still planning on going ahead with the convention. Tom Perez, in an interview with Axios yesterday, said that they're in touch with state and local health officials and at this point are not considering an online version of the convention. If they did have to go online and vote online, Axios notes, quote, In that case, the DNC, which has suffered major problems with technology and information security, would have to oversee a secure and seamless digital convention with the pressure of American citizens and Americans' foreign adversaries bearing down on them. End quote. Garrett points out that, quote, Such sacrifices are not unprecedented. On November 5, 1918, the United States held midterm elections for congressional seats during World War I. The Spanish influenza was raging across the United States, claiming huge death tolls in most of the nation's large cities and striking terror across the country. 
Politicians abandoned most campaigning rituals, such as rallies and speaking tours. Because it was not a presidential election year, the convention cancellation question wasn't raised in 1918. Voter turnout was merely 40%, well below the usual for the era. Yet no one thought to question the legitimacy of the outcome. End quote. Also, she notes that local health policy experts claim Iran's decision to go ahead with their February 21st national elections and February 11th Iranian revolution celebrations were leading causes of the outbreak becoming so bad in Iran. Garrett notes of voting, quote, Actual voting can and should proceed with heavy emphasis on mailed ballots. To the extent that in-person polling is unavoidable, great attention should be paid to social distancing keeping all citizens three feet apart from each other in line and inside the voting area, end quote. There's not much precedent or guidance on these matters, but the Washington Post does note, quote, at least 45 states have laws that anticipate election day emergencies, such as natural disasters, but these laws vary widely, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. In eight states, including Florida, Texas, and Virginia, the governor has the statutory power to delay or reschedule an election, end quote. Many voting locations that were previously located in senior centers have been moved, and various jurisdictions are taking other ad hoc preventative measures. Like the director general of the WHO said, we are in uncharted territory. As regards to the presidential race, I will continue to keep you updated, but again, if you are looking for more general updates, you can search your podcast app for the Coronavirus Daily Briefing, the latest show in the Ride Home Network, one that we very much hope will be temporary but which will help keep you up to date with accurate information. And again, it is called Coronavirus Daily Briefing. And that is the election roundup for the day. As always, you can find Election Ride Home on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.